Hello everyone and welcome as we explore the origins of the Body Mass Index or BMI. You might think it's a modern medical tool, but trust me, its history goes way back. So you ready to travel through time? Let's go. Our journey starts in 1794 during the Belgian Revolution. Here we meet Lambert Adolphe Jacques Quetelet. But of course, he wasn't a doctor or a surgeon. Instead, he was fascinated by astronomy, mathematics, and something called social physics. It was the idea of applying the laws of physics to people's behavior. Yet, I'd never heard of that either, probably for very, very good reason. Quetelet tried to quantify human traits like courage and greed, but guess what? That was a really tough old nut to crack. Uh, some might say impossible. So he eventually moved on to analysing birth rates, death rates and people's heights and weights. His goal was to find the average man, which sounds super interesting, doesn't it? Have you ever heard of a bell curve? It's a statistical graph where most people fall in the middle, which represents the average. Uh, Quetelet believed that this average was the epitome of perfection and anything else was a deviation. Not particularly inspiring, right? So Quetelet digs into height and weight data, but only from white European men in France and Scotland. Uh, diversity, anyone? Uh, not so much. Uh, this male-dominated data from a tiny corner of Europe led him to create Quetelet's index, which is a precursor to our modern BMI. Fast forward 20 years after Quetelet's sad death, and things take a dark turn. Enter Francis Galton and the eugenics movement. A sinister and frighteningly racist movement, they wanted to improve the human race genetically, leading to some really sinister practices like forced sterilisation based on intelligence tests and physical appearance. Galton completely disagreed with Quetelet. He saw average as very much that, as average and mundane. He was looking for exceptional individuals to try and improve the human genetic code, remember. So he used Quetelet's data to find exceptional individuals and try and get them to breed to make exceptional next generations. Now we get to 1867, where a life insurance company decides that they're going to start charging their fat policyholders more money. Uh, yes, this was the beginning of using the idea of not having a normal body size for corporate profit, which again just adds to the controversy through the process, don't you think? Now, you might be wondering about the data they used to define what normal or healthy was. Uh, here's the twist. They didn't use any scientific data like the ones our friend Mr. Ketelet did. No, they simply just made their own data up from their client lists. And do you think they maybe skewed the data a little bit to make more of their policyholders eke into that overweight category so their premiums went up? Yeah, I think they probably did too. And that's not the worst part. Doctors started using these insurance charts as guidelines for their patients. Yes, medical guidelines based on data made up out of thin air from life insurance policyholders who 
by the way, were predominantly wealthy and white. So not exactly a diverse or representative sample of the nation, but we're getting pretty used to that, aren't we, with the BMI? So as you can imagine, once one life insurance company did this, you get a ripple effect and every insurance company now had its own chart. And unsurprisingly, there was a huge variation from one to the next because they're all made up. This inconsistency sparked a desire for a unified, standardised system based on some kind of scientific data. So who could be trusted with such an important task? Well, say hello to Ansel Keys, a pretty infamous figure in his own right, and we'll be talking about him some more in other podcasts, I've no doubt. He was tasked with finding a cost-effective way to measure body fat. No, not the best way, the most cost-effective way. And he studied 7,500 men, again, no looking for the women, across different countries, including the USA, Japan, South Africa, Finland and Italy, using three different methods of measuring body fat. Keyes concluded that the BMI is, well, meh, it's OK at best, but more cost effective than the other two, which isn't particularly a ringing endorsement, is it? But saying that, can you imagine the delight on Ketelet's face? having been told that his test was bang average. He would have loved it. And fast forward through time again to the 1970s, and the BMI becomes a serious health tool, even though it's right only about half the time, and it's built upon very shaky science and pretty biased origins. So despite all these drawbacks, why is it still being used? But then I suppose with most things in life, we just have to, what do we need to do? That's right, we follow the money. Looking back through history, there was a quote in the British Medical Journal that mentions a newly formed group called the International Obesity Task Force, who have very close ties with the World Health Organization. Well, it turned out that this task force got two thirds of their funding from two main sponsors, Roach and Abbott. So good of two companies to plough millions of dollars into such a worthy cause, isn't it? Well, I'm very pleased you asked. By coincidence, no doubt a coincidence, Roach makes an anti-obesity drug called Orlistat and Abbott makes another drug called Reductil, which is an appetite suppressant. Fortunately, a huge number of clinicians and researchers inside the World Health Organization, yep, that's them. These clinicians and researchers recommended that the threshold for being classified as overweight be raised because it was too low. So the task force took this into consideration and instead they went against expert opinion and brought the threshold down. Indeed it does. I'm sure it's completely unrelated that we have companies developing and selling weight loss drugs that are giving millions of dollars to a group who are in charge of deciding when people are considered overweight. And when the International Obesity Task Force keep bringing the threshold down, which results in more people being classified as overweight and obese, which strangely makes more customers eligible for drug therapies. So that's the twisty tale of BMI, a tool that's born from a quest to find average, which was hijacked by questionable science and adopted as a global identifier of poor health, thanks to it being easy to use and also a few helpful million dollars from some drug company sponsors. And of course, it's still used widely in health services worldwide. In our opinion, it's time we look beyond BMI and embrace a more personalised approach to health and wellness. And thankfully for you, that's where we can help if you're not sure where to start. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast because every episode will help you get 1% closer to the life you want to live. 
But thanks for joining me on this journey through history and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye now.